Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome into episode number 24 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network. On this episode, there's a lot of fights to get to, both in boxing and in MMA. Of course, this weekend, Christmas comes a week early for fight fans because on Friday we've got Gennady Golovkin in action and then on Saturday we've got Canelo Alvarez. So a really exciting fight week, fight weekend in boxing. Really looking forward to those fights. But before I get into any more fight talk, I wanted to briefly touch on some NBA topics We all know the NBA season is right around the corner starting on December 22nd. I'm really excited to watch the world champion Los Angeles Lakers and see how they look coming back after a really great offseason where they were able to add Dennis Schroeder, Marc Gasol, and Montrez Harrell. I'm excited to see how those pieces fit in with the rest of the team, chiefly around LeBron and Anthony Davis. They both re-signed, so they're going to be a great duo for years to come for the Lakers, which is a great thing for LA and that franchise. And then on the other side, we've got the Clippers. I'm excited to see how they come back after their collapse in the playoffs last season, where they lost a 3-1 series lead to the upstart Denver Nuggets. I'm looking forward to see how they bounce back from that with new pieces like Luke Kennard and Serge Ibaka in the mix, perhaps uh, they can put that season behind them and come out with a better effort and more cohesiveness in this upcoming season. And another team I'm really looking forward to watching more of is, of course, the Dallas Mavericks with the great duo of Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. And what makes Doncic so special is how he sees the game. He just sees it unlike anyone else I've ever really watched before. He seems to have a sixth sense on the basketball court. Most players see the game in two dimensions. Doncic seems to see it in three dimensions. Never getting tunnel vision just to score. Always keeping his options open to pass or to get a bucket or to get to the foul line. He's just very hard to guard because he can get into the paint whenever he wants and he's 6'7", around 230 pounds, so strong enough to bully his way to the basket and get to his spots on the floor. And he might not be the quickest player, but he's got some of the best fundamentals in the game. And that's why he's the front runner for MVP this season, only 21 years old. We've never really seen this before. You can compare it to LeBron, but I don't think LeBron had this level of skill at the young age that uh, Luka is now. And another thing that's impressed me about this young Slovenian basketball prodigy is how he's a leader on his team. He seems to emotionally lead the Mavericks, get them going, plays with a lot of joy, always smiling when he's out there on the court. And that's really what I love to see is that infectious joy that also rubs off on his teammates and just makes the Mavericks a really fun team to watch. And Doncic already has a go-to move, his step back from the three-point line. He seems to create space so effortlessly with that move. It's not a quick move, 
but it's very fundamentally sound. And that's what he can do when you're guarding him one-on-one. -on -one, he's got all the little moves, all the little tricks to get you off balance. And then you have to commit a foul because you're out of position. And that's exactly what he likes to do uh, on the offensive end. And then I also wanted to touch on the Milwaukee Bucks. A big congratulations to them for being able to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo for at least the next five seasons, it looks like, as he just did sign that Supermax extension with his hometown Bucks. It's a great win for a small market franchise like the Milwaukee Bucks, and hopefully they can win a championship uh, during Giannis's extension years. He's one of the best players in the league, an absolute athletic marvel, and I can't wait to see him in this upcoming NBA season. And Giannis is the best transition player in the league because of his long strides, but he still has some work to do in terms of being better in the half court. And now a word from our sponsors, betonline.ag. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. And for this weekend, I'm thinking of taking both Gennady Golovkin and Canel Alvarez to win. Golovkin by knockout, and I'll say Alvarez by decision. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now let's get into some boxing recaps. I'll go ahead and start with a fight card on December 12th from Las Vegas, aired on ESPN. And I'll go ahead and start with the third fight on the card between Edgar Berlanga versus Ulysses Sierra. Eight rounds, super middleweights. Berlanga is an absolute destroyer. He proves that time and time again. Each time he steps into the ring, 16 first round knockouts in 16 fights. That is absolutely unbelievable. Shows his amazing thudding power that he has. He's got one punch power. He can hit you with a grazing shot and that can hurt his opponent. He can hit you flush and absolutely knock your lights out. Just showing amazing power and I'm really excited to see where Berlanga goes from here. He said previous to this fight that he wants to fight Canelo Alvarez in perhaps a year or two at, I believe, 168 pounds. He knows that's a huge fight, and he knows it would do a lot for his career if he uh, fights against Canelo Alvarez. But like I said, 16 first-round knockouts to start out his professional career. He's undefeated. Absolutely amazing power. And even when he doesn't land flush on you, he can still do a lot of damage. We saw that against Ulysses Sierra, where he hit him with a shot on the top of the head, and that really messed up his equilibrium. And once he has you hurt, he's an absolute destroyer in there. He steps on the gas pedal, really puts the pressure on his opponent, doesn't let them recover, and keeps going at them using a lot of hooks to get around the guard of his opponent and really landing whatever punches he can to 
get the opponent out of there. And it's amazing that none of these guys have lasted past the first round. And a guy like Ulysses Sierra was probably his best competition to date. And that guy had never been stopped in his career. He's a sparring partner for a guy like Canelo Alvarez. Alvarez has respect for Sierra. And Berlanga disposed of him like it was nothing, like it was easy. And it just shows that he might have the hardest punches in the sport other than perhaps the right hand of Deontay Wilder. I mean, that's the type of power this guy carries. And while he hasn't been tested Defensively yet in his career, offensively, he's showing amazing power and also a lot of accuracy in there and a real destroyer mentality where he's able to land these shots because of good fundamentals and also just a God-given ability to punch with devastating power. And you can't really teach power, but what you can teach is fundamentals and good defensive instincts. Some guys have power like Gennady Golovkin or Deontay Wilder and obviously Edgar Berlanga falls in that category of having absolutely God-given gifts in terms of his punching power and it just shows me that the sky's the limit for this super middleweight. I can't wait to see where his career goes from here but he's clearly on the up and up and hopefully he gets those big fights he's looking for in the future. But I think a lot of guys are going to want to avoid him because they just see his destroyer mentality and how he's knocking out guys in the first round every time he fights. I mean, what quality boxer is really going to want to get in there and test himself against that level of a monster? We call him El Monstoro because of his amazing power. And Berlanga showed once again on ESPN why he's one of the biggest up-and-coming stars in boxing and could really be a Puerto Rican powerhouse for the sport as he is of Puerto Rican descent and I believe the sky's the limit for this guy. I can't wait for him to get in against maybe a Billy Joe Saunders, maybe a Demetrius Andrade, a Callum Smith, and then eventually perhaps Canelo Alvarez and really prove himself as one of the best super middleweights in the world. And right now, Berlanga, he's only 23 years old, just growing into that man strength that he has. So expect him to just get better and better in his career as he's just entering his prime. And that's really a scary thought for other boxers out there that have to go up against this guy. Now let's move into the co-main event on that fight card between Felix Verdejo and Masayoshi Nakatani, a fighter from Japan, was fighting Verdejo from Puerto Rico. And for Verdejo, he suffered his second professional loss in his career via ninth round TKO to Nakatani. And for Verdejo, he looked really good in his previous fight, getting a first round knockout over Will Madera. And that was back on July of 2020. So he's coming into this fight. It was a really big fight for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Lightweight title. And the winner of this fight really sets himself up well in the 135-pound division for more big fights in the future. And early on in the fight, it looked like it was going to be Verdejo's night. He floored Nakatani twice with some good right hands, I believe in the first round and also in the fourth round. 
but give a lot of credit to Nakatani for getting back up off the canvas from those devastating right hands and coming back being really durable and finding his own timing in the back half of the fight I'd say rounds six through nine is really when Nakatani really came on strong and showed his durability his accuracy his punching and boxing fundamentals and also his combination punching and he was the bigger guy in there the taller guy Felix Verdejo is 5'9", while his opponent Nakatani is 5'11 and a half. And because of that 2-inch height advantage for Nakatani, he was really able to punch down on his opponent and kind of control the center of the ring in the latter half of the fight. Really found his footing, and Verdejo couldn't stop the 1-2 right down the middle from Nakatani. He would just move straight back defensively and that's not something you want to do in boxing you either want to move to the right or left because if you move straight back you're still probably going to get hit with the punch but it probably won't be as devastating as if uh, you didn't get out of the way at all for example and Verdejo he really showed some flaws in his game and Akatani showed why he's one of the best 135 pounders in the world his only career loss came to Teofimo Lopez by unanimous decision and that was back in 2019. So this was his first fight in over a year against Verdejo. And with this performance, he showed why he might deserve a rematch with Tiafimo Lopez. And he says he wants that fight. And this was really impressive because he pushed Lopez all the way uh, to a decision and didn't get knocked out by him. And we've seen what Lopez has done against other fighters and how he really boxed really well against Vasil Lomachenko and for Nakatani to push Lopez that far really shows the quality he has and what he did against Verdejo getting off the deck twice coming back and really showing a good one-two combination punching and being the taller bigger fighter in there just shows he's a really tall for his division and I can't wait to see where this Japanese boxer goes from here but he really took advantage of the opportunity in a co-main event on ESPN. Really the first big fight of his career other than the one against Tiafimo Lopez. And definitely the one with the most exposure in his career. Really the first time I had seen him fight. And I was really impressed by him. Not only how he got back up off the canvas, but also his boxing fundamentals. How he never seemed to get too rushed in there. Always kind of going at his own pace, getting his timing down, and Verdejo really just couldn't match up what happened when uh, Nakatani's intensity and his accuracy and his punches started getting better in the later rounds. Verdejo really didn't have an answer for it, and he tried to match him, try to hit him punch for punch, but his punches weren't doing the damage they were doing in the early rounds, and Nakatani really came on strong and really proved that he deserves to fight Teofimo Lopez once again. And another really impressive thing about Nakatani is that he actually suffered a fractured right orbital bone during the fight, but he still fought on and came out on top. So a big congratulations to Nakatani, and I can't wait to see him fight again. Hopefully it's on top rank and on ESPN his next fight. And for Verdejo, he's really got to look at the tape 
and see what he did wrong because he still has a lot of ability in terms of punching power and being a great boxer but against Nakatani I think he got a little too comfortable after those early knockdowns it didn't really fight fundamentally sound especially defensively he was just backing up straight and Nakatani with his height was able to still get to Verdejo and Verdejo didn't have an answer for that so if he can work on his defensive aspects of his boxing game then I think he can come back the better fighter for it after this loss but he's kind of got to look at what happened and see how he can improve because I still think we're going to see a lot more of Verdejo and this definitely isn't the end of him for his career and maybe he even gets a rematch with Nakatani and beats him but for now it, it was Nakatani's night and you got to give him a lot of credit for taking advantage of the opportunity. Now let's move on to the main event on that evening between Shakur Stevenson and Toka Khan Clary. And it was another virtuoso performance for Shakur Stevenson. He's only 23 years old, but he's already one of the most fundamentally sound boxers in the sport. He knows the art of hit and not get hit. His defense is absolutely flawless. He's just a beautiful boxer to watch. Someone you want to watch and say, see, that's how you should fight if you're teaching a young boxer. You say, look at Shakur Stevenson, look at his head movement, how he takes a half step back to get out of range, and when he lands his own punches, he makes sure that he can land his punches, but his opponent can't land any punches back. He's really good at that. Really amazing boxer to watch. And he really is just one of the best in the sport already. And showed against Clon Clary absolutely amazing stout defense and pretty decent punching power. And it's not like he's just a headhunter. He also really went to the body of Clary trying to break him down. But give credit to Clary for lasting the whole fight and not getting knocked out. He really knows how to survive in there and knows how to take a punch and Stevenson just showed that he's a very skilled boxer he won every round and it's like he's playing chess and his opponent is playing checkers that's the level of skill and the level of fight IQ that Shakur Stevenson has he makes decent boxers look like they're absolute nobodies like they shouldn't even be in the ring with him Stevenson absolutely embarrasses guys because of his amazing defense. He almost never gets hit. I believe he averages about four punches landed on him per round. Those are absolutely ridiculous numbers and really speaks to how Shakur Stevenson should have a very long career because he's not really going to take much damage in any of his fights because of his stout defense. So that really sets himself up for a long and successful career, a la Floyd Mayweather, who also really didn't take a lot of punishment in his career. And fighters with this amazing defense, they can really go in there against anyone and frustrate them and make them think twice about their skill level because Shakur Stevenson seems just several steps ahead of his opponents. Now, if you haven't seen this fight yet, go back and watch it because Stevenson showed amazing defensive fundamentals. His ability to take a half step back and get out of the range of punches 
before landing his own, constantly reading his opponent, always getting his timing down, and being able to hit and not get hit. It's just a beautiful thing to watch, and I love watching Stevenson fight because it's almost like he's playing a different sport than his opponent, or I should say fighting in a different sport. It's kind of like watching Novak Djokovic when he's at the top of his game and just dominating opponents. They can't get anything past him, and he just seems to find all the right shots. That's kind of what I think of when I watch Shakur Stevenson box. It's that he's always a step ahead, always guessing what his opponent is going to do, and always having the right response offensively to come back and land his own punches. I'd compare it to Novak Djokovic level of dominance. Now let's take a look at the fight stats for this fight. Shakur Stevenson threw 514 and landed 151 punches for a 29% connect rate and 64 punches to the body. His opponent, Toka Conclary, he threw 529, only landed 48 for a 9% connect rate. That's right, 9%. And he landed 23 to the body. That is absolutely acing the test. If you're only getting hit 9% of the time and the other 91% of the time you're not, that's an absolute A-plus performance by any metric. I mean, to only get hit 48 times in a 10-round fight is absolutely astounding. And the sky's the limit for Shakur Stevenson. I'm really hoping he gets Miguel Burchell next. And I know he also wants the winner between Carl Frampton and Jamel Herring. I think he could beat all those fighters. The fight that really intrigues me is the one against Burchelt because Burchelt is such a monster at 130 pounds. He's really big for the division. He punches with a lot of power. I think that would be a really great fight against Shakur Stevenson. And the one against either Frampton or Jamel Herring doesn't intrigue me as much because Frampton is a short fighter. I don't think he necessarily has the speed to really get on the inside and land enough on Shakur Stevenson. And Jamel Herring, I just don't think is at the level of a Shakur Stevenson in terms of his boxing skill. But with Miguel Burchell, his power and his tenacity somewhat gives him a chance against Stevenson. But I still like Stevenson to win those fights. So I can't wait to see him back on ESPN, back on top rank, and absolutely putting on more virtuoso performances in the future. And now let's move on to my next boxing recap. This was back on December 12th from Uncasville, Connecticut. In the main event, we had Chris Colbert taking on Jaime Arboleda. 12 rounds for Colbert's WBA interim junior lightweight title. And what really impressed me about Colbert in this very exciting and fan-friendly fight was his hand speed. He's showing me really elite hand speed, landing a lot of punches in bunches, really overwhelming a very tough opponent in Arboleda, especially in those later rounds where he was able to land more power punches as Arboleda was starting to slow down. And it was a really great performance from Chris Colbert. Probably my favorite boxing match of the weekend because it was just so exciting, so high-paced, 
a lot of action, a lot of punches thrown from both guys. But you could see Colbert was generally getting the better of the exchanges, really showing great boxing fundamentals. Also had a real flair for the dramatic, landing a lot of punches, really great hand speed as I said earlier. And I think that hand speed and that power is really going to set up Chris Colbert for a very promising pro career. Colbert is only 24 years old and his professional record is 15-0, 6 wins by knockout and 9 by decision. And in this fight against Arboleda, he got a TKO win in the 11th round, knocked him down uh, I believe once before, before the final knockdown and that was the end of the fight. Arboleda was just taking a lot of punishment, especially in the corner when he couldn't get off the ropes. Colbert was just bearing down on him, leaning a lot of power punches, and it was really hard to watch because I don't like to see a guy like Arboleda, a quality fighter, take a beating like that. But Colbert showed what he's really improved on, which is his punching power and his pace and stamina in this fight. He really showed me all the things I needed to see to really put Colbert in the upper echelon of young fighters in the sport. And I think he's got a lot of potential and I can't wait to see him fight again because he's a very exciting fighter and he showed that once again in the main event on Showtime. Now looking at the fight stats for this very exciting fight, Colbert, he landed 184 out of 411 total punches for a 45% connect rate. 45% is really high. And then his opponent Arboleda, he landed 153 out of 709 total punches for only a 22% connect rate. So over 1,100 punches thrown between these two guys, which is what made it such an exciting fight. Arboleda tried to overwhelm him with activity in there, but Colbert's defense and his ability to counterpunch and really just have the faster hand speed and better punching power is what won him this fight. And I thought Colbert came on really strong in the later rounds. And if you haven't seen this fight, go back and watch it because it was definitely one of the most exciting boxing matches of the year so far. Both guys throwing a lot of punches, not wanting to lose this fight. You could see both fighters really wanted to win, made it up for a competitive fight. But as I said earlier, Colbert's power and his hand speed took over in the later rounds. His superior stamina really allowed him to outlast Arboleda in what was an absolute war. But Colbert came out on the better end of it and really showed great defensive instincts as well as a real offensive flair for the boxing game that really makes him must-watch anytime he steps in the ring. Now let's move on to my next boxing recap. This fight was back on December 12th from London, England on DAZN. In the main event, we had Anthony Joshua versus Kubrat Pulev. 12 rounds for Joshua's WBA, WBO, and IBF heavyweight titles. And Anthony Joshua was able to retain his titles by ninth round knockout over Kubrat Pulev. In the early rounds, Joshua really came on strong, landing a few knockdowns on Pulev, I believe in the first round and perhaps the third round. 
But then in the middle rounds, I thought Pulev really boxed a lot better, able to survive more and kind of match Joshua in terms of what was going on in the ring, not getting as dominated as he was in the earlier rounds. So I thought Pulev showed the heart of a champion by getting back up from those knockdowns that Joshua landed with some big right hands. He was able to get back up, really account for himself quite well, and make it a more competitive fight during those middle rounds. While it wasn't the most exciting fight, Pulev did what he needed to do to stay in the fight and not get knocked out. But then the ninth round came and Joshua decided, that's it, I'm getting this guy out of there. And in close range, Joshua was able to land a flurry of uppercuts that absolutely floored Kubra Pulev. And after he got back up, the fight was promptly over after Joshua faked with the left and came back over with a big right hand that put Pulev down. And that was the end of the fight. But what really set up that knockout was the uppercuts from Joshua really doubling up, tripling up on those punches, landing the same punch over and over. And one of the hardest things about an uppercut is that you don't see it coming because most punches in boxing are straight on so the opponent can see them coming. But an uppercut is coming from up under and supposed to land on the underside of the chin of uh, the opponent. So it's a lot harder to see that punch coming. And because of that, Joshua was able to land some devastating uppercuts on Pulev. That really destroyed his equilibrium. And soon after that, it was the end of the fight. So a really awesome performance from Anthony Joshua. Not the most exciting fight during the middle rounds. But it was still the type of performance and the type of finishing ability that Joshua needed to show, especially after the first upset loss to Andrew Ruiz Jr. by knockout, and then second, the rematch in which he won by unanimous decision but did not go for the knockout. We wanted to see if Anthony Joshua was still that destroyer, still that devastating puncher that could knock out the best heavyweights in the sport. Well, he showed that against Kubrat Pulev, completely outclassing and mainly dominating him. And Pulev is no slouch himself. He's the 10th ranked heavyweight in the world. Joshua is right now the second ranked heavyweight. And he showed that difference in class, difference in punching power, difference in accuracy in terms of his combination punching. And with this win, hopefully we see Anthony Joshua taking on Tyson Fury in 2021. I know they've begun negotiations on that fight, and I know that both fighters actually want that fight. And that's the difference between that fight and the fight at welterweight between Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford. It's that I don't think that Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford really believe that that fight needs to happen. But the difference in the heavyweight division is that both Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury believe wholeheartedly that that fight absolutely needs to happen for the heavyweight division, for British boxing. The two best heavyweights happen to both be British heavyweights, and it's time for them to meet in the ring. So I'm expecting sometime in 2021 for that fight to happen. Now let's move into my UFC recap of UFC 256. Figueroa versus Moreno back on 
December 12th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'll go ahead and start with the fight between Kevin Holland and Jacare Souza. This was an absolutely astounding performance from Jacare Souza, who may uh, have just taken too many punches in his career. Souza is one of the best middleweights in UFC history. His record is 26-9, and and he's 41 years old. So this could be very well his last fight in the UFC, especially because Dana White said he's looking to cut a number of fighters before the end of the year. So we'll see if Souza will be among those cuts. Now, Kevin Holland really put on quite the amazing performance, knocking out Souza off his back. It was in a grappling exchange, and Holland was getting back up to his feet, and he was on his back. Souza was leaning forward, and he just threw a huge right hand right to the top of the head of Souza that messed up his equilibrium, landed a few more to finish the fight, Really amazing knockout. Could be the one of the best knockouts of the year in the UFC. In my opinion, looking at the fight stats, Holland landed 21 out of 24 total strikes. And he had 2 seconds of ground control time. His opponent, Souza, landed 2 out of 2 total strikes, so not throwing that much. And had a minute and 27 seconds of ground control time. But as I said in that grappling exchange is when the end of the fight happened for Souza when he got knocked out. And it was a really great performance for Holland, so we'll see where he goes from here. But for Souza, I think this might be his last fight in the UFC. So go ahead and check out that knockout by Kevin Holland if you haven't seen it. Really one of the most extraordinary knockouts that I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever watched a fight where the winner knocked a guy out off his back during a grappling exchange, just through with absolutely devastating power, and that was the end of the fight. Amazing stuff from Kevin Holland. Now let's move on to the co-main event. A big lightweight matchup at 155 pounds between Tony Ferguson and Charles Oliveira. And Ferguson really needed a big performance especially after that beating he took against Justin Gaethje. Unfortunately against Charles Oliveira that wasn't going to be his night because Oliveira absolutely dominated in the grappling exchanges pretty much controlling him whenever he wanted to on the ground and then in the early part of the first round Oliveira was even getting the better of Ferguson on the feet so really wherever this fight was going Oliveira was winning and Ferguson nearly got submitted with an armbar at the end of the first round because of his toughness and will and absolute savagery. Ferguson did not tap despite getting his arm hyperextended. Looked like it almost broke, but Ferguson was able to tough it out and not tap at the end of the first round from that vicious armbar attempt from Charles Oliveira. He was able to last the full three rounds, but really it was utter dominance from Oliveira and was further exasperated by Tony Ferguson not having full use over his damaged arm. And he's not going to beat Charles Oliveira, especially only having one arm to really punch with. Looking at the fight stats here, it's really domination from Oliveira. 
Ferguson only landed 26 out of 49 total strikes and had 5 seconds of ground control time. His opponent, Oliveira, landed 86 out of 112 total strikes for 11 minutes and 39 seconds of ground control time. 3 of 3 on his takedown attempts with 3 submission attempts. That's right, in a 15-minute, 3-round fight, Oliveira had 11 minutes and 39 seconds of ground control time. That kind of gives you an idea of the level of dominance that Oliveira was exerting over Ferguson over the course of the fight, which is why he won by unanimous decision 30-26 to on all three judges' scorecards. And Ferguson could definitely be another fighter that gets cut by Dana White especially based off his last two performances against Justin Gaethje and now Charles Oliveira. I could see Ferguson getting cut. Not saying that I want to see him get cut because he is such an exciting fighter and has put on some exciting fights like the one against Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone. Ferguson is a very exciting fighter to watch, but maybe Gaethje took his heart and also Oliveira looked really impressive in there. I think a combination of that might ultimately be the downfall in the career of Tony Ferguson. So if this is Ferguson's last fight in the UFC, I just want to thank him for giving us fight fans some amazing fights to watch. Uh, A really amazing fighter that never stops pushing the pace, never stops going forward, always attacking. One of the best gas tanks in the sport. Really amazing cardio by Tony Ferguson. Never seems to get tired. So we'll see what happens with the future of Tony Ferguson. And Charles Oliveira with this dominant performance really sets himself up nicely in the lightweight division. I could see him taking on Rafael Dos Anjos next. Maybe the winner between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. A lot of options for Oliveira. And the fight that I'm thinking a lot of fight fans would love to see would be Charles Oliveira taking on Khabib Nurmagomedov because in this fight against Tony Ferguson, I think Oliveira showed his true wrestling prowess and dominance. And we all know that Khabib Nurmagomedov is probably the greatest wrestler that the sport has ever seen. So I think a matchup between him and Oliveira, you would somewhat see similar abilities in terms of their wrestling and it would be really interesting to see if Khabib could still dominate in the wrestling department as he does with other fighters against a guy like Charles Oliveira who is also very adept on the ground and has now 19 submission victories in his career the most in UFC history. His record is 30 and 8 and his last loss came all the way back in 2017 to Paul Felder by knockout. So he's undefeated for three years and going into 2021, it's going to be a really big year for Charles Oliveira, who's still relatively young in his fight career. He's only 31 years old, so still a few more years left at the top of his game and I hope he gets the title shot. We're still waiting to see what happens in that division as it's unclear if Khabib is still truly retired or if he's going to come back and fight. But Oliveira definitely is a contender for that title, especially after that dominant performance he put on against Tony Ferguson, controlling him on the ground, winning in the the stand-ups, taking him down 
whenever he wanted. We've never seen Ferguson dominated like that in that fashion. And that's what made this performance all the more impressive by Charles Oliveira. Now let's move into the main event on that UFC fight card. It was for the flyweight title between the current champion Devinson Figueredo and a very worthwhile opponent, very deserved guy in Brandon Moreno, who put on perhaps the fight of the year in the UFC. Definitely the best men's fight of the year, I thought. I think that woman's fight between Zhang Wei Li and Yuanna Yuresic is still a little bit better than this fight, but in terms of the men's fights, I think this was definitely the best men's fight of the year. And this was truly a back and forth five round war between two guys that did not want to lose. Figueroa punches with a lot of power, especially for his division at 125 pounds. You see him knock guys out like Joseph Benavides with no problem, but Brandon Reno has an absolute granite chin on him. He could really take the punches of Figueroa throughout the fight and also really take his body kicks quite well, which was really impressive because we've seen other fighters absolutely crumble under the power of Figueroa, but Moreno did not crumble. Whenever he would get hit, it would seem to spur him on a little bit more, and he would land his own combinations on Devinson Figueroa. That's what made this fight so intriguing and so exciting. It's that it was competitive. Just when you thought one guy was going to win the fight and pull away, the other guy would come back and land his own punches and really make it a very interesting fight to watch, very exciting. Both guys throwing a lot of kicks and punches. Figueroa a few times looked like he might get knocked out because Moreno was really landing well with his combination punching, pushing him back, making him fight off the back foot. But then Figueroa would come right back and land his own devastating kicks, land a few punches to the head of Moreno, and Moreno, I thought, really showed excellent wrestling in this fight. He was able to take down Figueroa four times in this fight, and that wrestling really might have ended up getting him the draw in this fight. Both guys were absolutely battered after this fight. It was definitely the best flyweight fight in the men's division in UFC history, and looking at the fight stats here, they're very even. Figueroa, he landed 147 out of 248 total strikes. Moreno landed 139 out of 256 total strikes, so nearly identical there. Only eight more strikes landed for Figueroa. And Figueroa landed 93 to the head, 34 to the body, and 10 to the legs, so really mixing it up well there. Moreno landed 118 to the head, 13 to the body, and 1 to the legs. So Moreno was doing more headhunting there with his strikes, and Figueroa definitely felt the damage of all those punches after the fight. As you could see him limping in uh, the post-fight interview, and uh, looking at the ground control time, Figueroa had 55 seconds of ground control time. Moreno had a minute and 18 seconds of ground control time. And Figueroa had two takedowns. Moreno had four. So I'd say Moreno got the little, a little better of the grappling exchanges, which I did not expect. I thought Figueroa would dominate him in the wrestling and probably knock him out. But Moreno really proved me wrong. 
He proved he's a better fighter than I thought, a lot more durable, able to take a lot of punches. And Figueroa also showed me a lot of heart in this fight, also able to take a lot of damage and still fight back. And that's why this fight was so exciting. Now the fifth round, I have to admit, was kind of a lit down after an absolutely amazing first four rounds of this fight. The fifth round really didn't have a lot of activity in it, and Moreno appeared to have hurt his arm in the fifth round, which is why he wasn't throwing as many punches, and Figaro seemed to just be resting too much. He should have really pushed the gas pedal a little bit more and landed more punches against a wounded opponent. Maybe he could have gotten Moreno out of there in the fifth round. Ultimately, he didn't, and it went to a decision, and it was ruled a draw 47-47 on two judges' scorecards and 48-46 for Figueroa on the third judge's scorecards. And the point taken away because Figueroa landed an absolutely devastating kick, but it was a low blow, and it was really hard to watch because Moreno was coughing. You could see that low blow really affected him, and ultimately the ref had to take a point away because it did affect how Moreno fought from then on. Although he pushed forward and still fought with the heart of a lion, you could see that perhaps if he didn't land that low blow that uh, Moreno might have had more left in the tank. But because that point was taken away for that low blow, also Figueroa had poked him in the eye earlier in the fight. I don't think either of those fouls were intentional by Figueroa, but the referee had to take a point away because it was such such a devastating low blow that did a lot of damage to Moreno and give him a lot of credit for fighting on. And this fight definitely needs a rematch. Give these guys both a few months to rest and recover and get back healthy. And then I'd love to see a rematch between these two guys because it was such an exciting fight, such an all-out five-round war that the fans, the fight fans, and I believe Dana White and both guys are going to want this rematch in the future. Personally, I thought Figueroa just edged out this fight, probably winning three rounds to two. He definitely won the fifth round, probably also the first and third rounds. I thought Moreno came on strong, probably won the second and fourth rounds, but it was still a very exciting and very competitive fight. And when that decision was being read out, I really didn't know who was going to win because it was such a close fight. And especially with that point being taken away from Figueroa, that definitely played into the scorecards, which is why we saw a draw and why we need a rematch in one of the best fights I've seen all year. So I just want to thank Figueroa and Moreno for absolutely wearing their hearts on their sleeves and giving their all in this fight, giving fight fans a fight to remember. Just a big thank you to them, and it was really an amazing fight. So if you haven't seen that fight, definitely go back and watch it. You can check it out on the ESPN app on ESPN+. Plus. They have all the replays of the fight. And I definitely recommend watching Figueroa vs. Moreno because you will not be disappointed. And I was absolutely astounded by the chins on both these guys. The amount of damage they both took and their ability to just keep coming back, keep coming forward, and continuing on in the fight is what made it so memorable and such a great fight to watch. 
Now let's move on into my boxing previews for a really big boxing weekend as Christmas comes about a week early for boxing fans as on Friday night we've got Gennady Golovkin and then on Saturday we've got Canelo Alvarez. So let me go ahead and start out with that fight with Triple G on December 18th from Hollywood, Florida on DAZN. We've got Gennady Golovkin taking on Camille Scherzmetta, 12 rounds for Golovkin's IBF middleweight title. And this is a big fight for Golovkin, especially because he didn't look that dominant in his last fight against Sergey Dervinchenko. He really needs to put on a dominant performance against Scherzmetta to set up uh, those big fights that I know he wants in his boxing future. We last saw Golovkin in the ring back in October of 2019. So over a year layoff for Golovkin going into this fight against Camille Scherzmetta. And Golovkin's already pretty old. He's already 38 years old. So not too many years left at the top of the sport. His record is 41-1 and with 35 wins by knockout, 5 by decision, 1 loss, and 1 draw. That 1 loss came to Canelo Alvarez, and also that 1 draw also came to Canelo Alvarez in two different fights. Hopefully they meet in the ring and fight for a third time. Recently against Sergei Dervinchenko, he looked pretty good, but Dervinchenko definitely had his moments in there. In what was a very competitive fight because Dervinchenko did not want to take a back seat. He pushed forward, really forced Golovkin into more of a brawl. And it was a really challenging fight for both fighters. Very competitive. And I thought Golovkin might have even lost that fight. However, he ended up getting a close unanimous decision victory over Dervinchenko. And he's had over a year to recover from that tough fight going into this fight against Camilo Shermeta. And this is definitely the biggest fight of the Polish boxer's career. Kamil Scherzmeta is a Polish boxer, and right now he's ranked as the world's seventh best active middleweight by The Ring magazine. And this fight against Golovkin is definitely the biggest fight of his career. He's never fought an opponent with the star power of Golovkin, nor the punching power. And Scherzmeta, he is only 31 years old, so younger than Golovkin. And his record is 21-0 with 5 wins by knockout and 16 by decision. So this shows me he doesn't have great knockout power with only 5 knockout wins. But he's undefeated and definitely a dangerous opponent for Gennady Golovkin coming off such a long layoff. Shares Meta has decent boxing power and he's shown a good left hook in his past fights getting a few knockout wins with that left hook but I don't think he has the defensive instincts nor the experience to really match up that well against Gennady Golovkin so I like Golovkin to win I'll say by eighth round knockout I just think he has too much power for his opponent he's one of the hardest punchers in the sport that's why he has so many knockout wins in his career. And he just has that thudding power. And he fights with that destroyer mentality. Pushing forward. Always looking to land power punches. Always looking to put his opponent on the back foot. 
and really make him fight his fight, which is Gennady Golovkin controlling the center of the ring, controlling most aspects of the fight. And even against Canelo Alvarez, I thought he did that in both their fights. Unfortunately, neither decision quite went his way, but a third fight is definitely warranted. And the only way that happens is if he puts on an absolute dominant performance against Sherzmeta come Friday night. And I expect he will. That's why I'm picking him by knockout. And he really needs a great performance so he can continue getting those big fights. Golovkin is a very devastating puncher either to the head or body of his opponent. He can get it done with a left hook, an uppercut, or a big right hand. He really has a myriad of punches at his disposal, which is what makes him so hard to train for is because most sparring partners aren't going to have the power of Golovkin or the boxing fundamentals that he has from a very extensive amateur career. And then going into the pro ranks, he showed absolutely devastating knockout power early on in his career. And I believe he still has that power going into this fight against Sheriz Mehta. So I'm really looking forward to this fight. I would say Gennady Glokin is actually my favorite boxer in the sport. And I can't wait to see him come Friday night. I'll definitely be watching. And hopefully he gets an amazing knockout win and really shows that devastating power that he's so well known for. That thudding, heavy power that just seems to overwhelm opponents and eventually they can't take it. That's why I'm predicting an 8th round knockout for Golovkin and hopefully he looks great in there and doesn't take too much damage against what I believe will be an overmatched opponent but definitely a much needed fight for Golovkin to stay busy especially because He's had more than a year layoff and it's definitely high time for him to get back in the ring. So the year of 2020 isn't a complete waste for him. At least he gets one fight in before the end of the year. And what really is the mark of a great power puncher is that their jab is even devastating. And that's what we see with Golovkin. Even when he throws a jab without much power behind it, it still does damage because we see it push the head back of his opponents snap their head back and make them really think twice about really wanting to fight Golovkin. We saw that even against Canelo Alvarez with his head being snapped back. We saw that against Steve Rolls and also against Sergei Dervinchenko. So I think if he can do that same thing with his jab against Sherzmeta, he should be able to overwhelm him and knock him out in the later rounds. So looking forward to that fight. Now let's move on to my next boxing preview. Coming up on Saturday, December 19th from San Antonio, Texas on zone, We've got in the main event Canelo Alvarez versus Callum Smith. And this fight will be 12 rounds for Smith's WBA super, super middleweight title and Alvarez's WBA regular super middleweight title and the vacant WBC super middleweight title. So a huge fight at super middleweight for both these boxers. And on ESPN, Callum Smith is actually ranked at number one at 168 pounds at super middleweight. Number two, Caleb Plant. Number three, David Benavides. And number four, Billy Joe Saunders. 
Canelo Alvarez isn't even ranked in this division, but he is ranked number one at 160 pounds. And number two is Gennady Golovkin. Number three, Jermall Charlo. Number four, Demetrius Andrade. So for Canelo, he's moving up from 160 to 168 pounds to take on the number one guy in the division in Calum Smith, who rose to stardom after winning the World Boxing Super Series back in September of 2018 when he retired the great George Groves, getting a knockout win over him in the seventh round to cement himself as the best super middleweight in the world and retired a great fighter in George Groves. That was his last professional fight. And a lot of people thought that Groves would actually win that fight against Calum Smith. But Smith showed great power, great tenacity, overall really great boxing fundamentals. To get that win, he followed that up with a third round TKO win over Hassan Ndam and Jakim back in June of 2019. And then most recently had a unanimous decision win over John Ryder back in November of 2019. So this is more than a year layoff for Calum Smith. And this is the biggest fight of his career against Canelo Alvarez. Smith will have the height and reach advantage going into this fight. As Calum Smith is 6'3 with a 78 inch reach. And he is... 30 years old. Callum Smith is from Liverpool and will be representing British boxing going up against the great Mexican champion in Canelo Alvarez who is 5 foot 9 with a 70 and a half inch reach and is also 30 years old. So 5 foot 9 going up against 6 foot 3 that is a 6 inch height advantage and about an 8-inch reach advantage for Callum Smith in this fight. So he's really going to want to keep the forward pressure of Canelo Alvarez on the outside by utilizing his very strong jab and really staying very active in there with his footwork, not getting complacent, and not fighting at close range because that's going to be the only way that Canelo Alvarez can land punches if he can get on the inside and really try to make this a phone booth fight. But if Callum Smith has the fundamentals to keep Alvarez on the outside, he has the ability to definitely get a decision win over Canelo Alvarez, which is why this will be a very close and competitive fight. Now, we've seen before from Canelo Alvarez show really great defense, which really comes from his hip movement and body movement. He's really able to move his hips and his head in line with each other to really get his head off the center line so it's not easy to land a lot of punches on him. He's really going to have to utilize that to full effect to not get knocked out by Callum Smith. And Callum Smith comes from a fighting family as he is the youngest of the Smith brothers, Paul, Stefan, and Liam, all of whom are professional boxers so boxing really is in his blood and he's going to have to show that going up against the very talented Canelo Alvarez and for Callum Smith he really hasn't gone up against an opponent with the defensive skills or with the true punching power of Canelo Alvarez 
Smith is undefeated at 27-0 with 19 wins by knockout and 8 by decision. So he definitely has the power to get Canelo Alvarez out of there. The question is, does he have the accuracy and the ring activity to really push for a full 12 rounds, which is what it's going to take to beat Canelo Alvarez? This is no doubt the biggest challenge of Callum Smith's career. And we'll see if he can rise to the occasion and beat Alvarez in what should be a very competitive and fun fight to watch. Now, looking at Canelo Alvarez's record, he is 53-1-2. So although both these fighters are 30 years old, Canelo Alvarez definitely has the advantage in experience. And you have to give a lot of credit for what Canelo has done in the sport. I mean, he got an 11th round knockout over the boogeyman in the light heavyweight division in Sergey Kovalev. A really amazing performance from Alvarez, who really was staying on the outside most of that fight because of the reach and size advantage of Sergey Kovalev. But eventually he was able to get on the inside and land some devastating knockout punches to get him out of there in the 11th round. Very impressive. Previous to that, he beat Daniel Jacobs by unanimous decision. Knocked out Rocky Fielding uh, in a super middleweight title fight. So also at 168 pounds. And then previous to that, he had two back-to-back boxing matches with Gennady Golovkin. One, he uh, had a split decision draw. The other, a majority decision win. I'm not going to say he won either of those fights because of the skills of Gennady Golovkin, but it's just important that those fights happened for the history of boxing and for the history of the middleweight division at 160 pounds. But Canelo isn't just satisfied with being the best at 160 pounds. He went up to 175 pounds and knocked out Sergey Kovalev. Now, once again, he's going up to 168 pounds to challenge the number one guy in the division in Callum Smith, and he's probably going to beat him. That's why I'm picking Canelo Alvarez to win by split decision because I believe this will be a very close fight, but ultimately the defensive instincts of Canelo Alvarez, the better punching power, and also just overall he has a little bit more experience in there, and Callum Smith... Uh, This moment just might be a little bit too big for him. And although he has the size and the reach advantage over Canelo Alvarez, I think Alvarez will figure out how to get out of the way of Smith's punches and come back with his own offense. And I'm really expecting the back half of the fight, round 6 through 12, to really be the best rounds for Canelo Alvarez, as I think he'll take over, maybe get a late stoppage, but I'm thinking split decision win for Canelo Alvarez here against Callum Smith, who's a very worthy opponent. I definitely could see Smith winning this fight because of his reach and size advantages, but it's really difficult to go against Canelo Alvarez, especially when you look at what he did against Sergey Kolev, knocking him out in the 11th round. I could see something similar to that happening against Callum Smith, But I think Callum Smith is a very fundamentally sound boxer. That's why he won the World Boxing Super Series final. It's because of those fundamentals. His strong punching power 
and overall his great jab that really keeps his opponents on the outside and he's going to need to utilize all these skills to have a chance against Canelo Alvarez. So I'm really looking forward to this fight and looking forward to seeing if Canelo can overcome those size and reach disadvantages and get the better of Callum Smith. I think he can get on the inside because of his defensive instincts and head movement and he's really going to have to work the body of Smith because he's going to be a big target for him and I think those body shots will definitely be open for Canel Alvarez especially because he's going to be the shorter fighter in there. I don't know how much head hunting Canel Alvarez is going to be able to do and for Calum Smith he should be watching the tape back of Canelo Alvarez's fights against Gennady Golovkin and also against Sergey Kovalev to see how to keep him on the outside, to see how to utilize that jab to the best of his ability to give him a chance at the upset win. But I can't quite go with that upset. That's why I'm picking Alvarez by split decision. So really looking forward to both seeing Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez in action in back-to-back nights. What an amazing boxing weekend we're in store for. Now moving on to my UFC preview for this weekend. We've got UFC Fight Night Thompson vs. Neal on December 19th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Main card starts on ESPN Plus at 4 p.m. and prelims on ESPN Plus at 1 p.m. And in the co-main event, we've got Jose Aldo taking on Marlon Vera in a bantamweight fight at 135 pounds. And in Vera's last fight, he got a big upset win over Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley is a really hyped prospect, but unfortunately, I believe he hurt his ankle in that fight. He went down and Vera took advantage of that injury as uh, he finished the fight with a knockout win in the first round, a big upset win for Vera and was probably the biggest fight of his career. That's why he's getting this co-main event slot against Jose Aldo, who's really on the back half of his career, and with another loss, it could get him cut from the UFC. Now, Jose Aldo is a natural 145-pounder, so I, I think when he moves down to 135 pounds like he is for this fight, it kind of takes the power out of his punches and some of the sting out of what he does well because of that weight cut, which I'm sure is hard on his body, especially at this advanced age as Jose Aldo is 34 years old and he's taken a lot of punishment in his recent fights. Looking at his fight history, he's coming off three straight losses. One, a unanimous decision loss to Alexander Volkanovsky back in May of 2019 followed that up with a split decision loss to Marlon Moras. And most recently he got knocked out by Peter Yan in the fifth round. And that was actually for the bantamweight title. Unfortunately he lost. But take nothing away from what Jose Aldo has accomplished in the sport. As one of the best 145 pounders in the history of the UFC. Unfortunately, two knockout losses to Max Holloway, also a knockout loss to Conor McGregor, kind of took the sting and the invincibility 
out of Jose Aldo. And since then, as I said, he's had three straight losses in his past three fights. And I think he's going to lose once again to Marlon Vera, who is six years younger at 28 years old. He's on the up and up in his career. And a big slight upset win over Jose Aldo would really set himself up nicely in that 135-pound division. Aldo's the slight favorite at minus 150. Vera, the slight underdog at plus 125. Aldo is 5'7", 135 pounds with a 70-inch reach, and he's 34 years old. Vera is 5'8", 135 pounds with a 70.5-inch reach, and he's 28 years old, and he's got a lot of ability. He really showed against Sean O'Malley his finishing ability. He does everything well, and I think Jose Aldo has just taken too many losses and too many devastating knockouts over the course of his career and I think that is finally going to catch up to him which is why I like Brandon Vera by unanimous decision. I just think he's going to be a little bit too youthful, a little bit too quick for Aldo and Aldo's really going to show his age and all that mileage and those tough fights that he's been in will really show up during this fight. I definitely could see Aldo winning by decision, but I think Vera is just going to be a little bit too good and a little bit too well-rounded, and that's why I like him to get this slight upset win. I think Vera fights with that certain dogged mentality of always pushing, always wanting to gain an advantage, and that's what we saw against Sean O'Malley and Jose Aldo might just be a little bit over the hill. We saw against Peter Jan, he just couldn't take the power of Jan and eventually was stopped in the fifth round. He really took quite a beating in that fight and I just don't want to see him continue to take these beatings in the back half of his career. If he loses to Marlon Vera and it is by a devastating knockout, I could definitely see him retiring after this fight. But we'll see what happens. Maybe Aldo can get the win. But like I said, I'm picking Vera. Also in the third fight on this card, we've got Chaos Williams taking on Michael Pereira. I'm thinking Williams gets another first round knockout. I'm not really too sure though. I'm not that familiar with his opponent. And Pereira is a slight favorite at minus 125. Williams a slight underdog at plus 105. And we've seen what Chaos Williams can do in his past fights. And we'll see if he can get another first round knockout. Definitely not going to want to miss that fight. Because Williams carries absolutely scary power in both hands. And also on this fight card we've got Anthony Pettis fighting. Also Marlon Moraes. Greg Hardy. So this is a very strong fight card. With a lot of quality fighters on this card. So it's really worth tuning in for most of these fights. And I can't wait to see how they all play out. I'm expecting Marlon Moraes to also get the win over his opponent, which is Rob Font. Moraes needs a great performance after suffering that knockout loss because of the head kick of Corey Sandhagen. He's really going to need to come back with a better performance. And I think he'll be able to do that against Rob Font. And what should be another exciting bantamweight fight. So really looking forward to 
all these fights. Now let's go into the main event. We've got Steven Wonderboy Thompson taking on Jeff Neal in the main event at welterweight, which will be at 170 pounds. Thompson, the slight underdog at plus 100. Neal, the slight favorite at minus 120. Thompson is 6 feet 37 years old with a 75-inch reach and at 170 pounds. And his opponent, Jeff Neal, is 5'11", 170 pounds, 30 years old with a 75-inch reach. So both these guys have the same reach, but Thompson is a little taller with an inch height advantage for him. So really evenly matched in terms of their height and their reach. And this should be a very close competitive fight. But I'm going to go ahead and pick Jeff Neal to get the win. I'll say by third round knockout. I think he's going to be the more explosive fighter in there. And eventually he's going to touch the chin of Steven Thompson. And we've seen Thompson get knocked out before. And Neal has devastating power in both hands. He's very technically sound. And he can also mix up takedowns with his striking to really confuse his opponents. And I think that's the tactic that he will be employing when he takes on Stephen Thompson. And looking at his fight history, he's coming off two knockout wins. One over Nico Price and the most recent one over Mike Perry. He hasn't lost since 2017 and that was against Kevin Holland. Maybe they do a rematch. I'd love to see Holland and Jeff Neal get in there and do a rematch. And since 2017, he's went on to knock out Bilal Williams, knock out Chase Walden, submission victory over Brian Camozzi, knockout over Frank Camacho, unanimous decision win over Bilal Muhammad, and as I said, two knockout wins most recently over Nico Price and Mike Perry. So he's really on quite the win streak, and I expect he'll get another knockout win over Stephen Thompson. Even though he fights with that karate style, does Stephen Thompson, he can still leave his chin up in the air. That's why we've seen him get knocked out in the past. And Thompson's record is 15-4, and four, and his four losses have come to Tyron Woodley, Matt Brown, and most recently to Darren Till and Anthony Pettis. He got knocked out by Anthony Pettis back in March of 2019. And he's coming off a unanimous decision win over Vincente Luke. And that was back in November of 2019. Thompson really needs a win to stay relevant in this division. And Jeff Neal really needs this win to continue the upswing that he's on in his career. Getting knockouts, really showing amazing explosive ability in there. And I think that's what he's going to show against Stephen Thompson is that explosive knockout ability, that ability to push forward, get past the tough karate style defense of Thompson and get that knockout. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Jeff Neal by third round knockout. Really looking forward to all the fights coming up this Friday and Saturday. Don't forget Friday we've got Gennady Golovkin, Saturday Canelo Alvarez, and also a very strong UFC fight card that will be a little bit earlier in the day in the afternoon. So you can go ahead and watch the UFC fight card and then make sure to tune in to Canelo Alvarez 
after that. A very exciting weekend of fights. Also, of course, as I previewed earlier, some very exciting teams in action in the NBA. So can't wait to see the NBA get going and also can't wait to watch these fights this weekend. As always, continue to social distance and wear your mask as we get through these crazy times together. And guess what? That vaccine has finally come around and it's starting to be distributed to people that need it the most. So eventually, hopefully, we're all going to get this vaccine and all go back to more normal lives. And remember, Kobe forever, Mamba forever, Maradona forever, and everyone have a great weekend. Happy holidays and have a great new year. Hopefully a better 2021 than 2020. And enjoy all the great fights this weekend. And in my next episode, I'll be giving out all my end of the year awards. So tune in for that. And thank you so much for listening. And hopefully we see both Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez pick up big wins and maybe set up that trilogy fight that I know all boxing fans are wanting to see. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.